Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful last few days. We're at Friday. We are at the weekend. Hope everyone is getting ready, excited for it, is ready for it, and is looking forward to a nice weekend ahead. Some things that I want to talk about that are going on around the world of Hollywood. A lot of major stuff is going on. Marvel has casted their Miss Marvel for the Disney Plus show. Plus, there is a specific villain from another universe that could be making their way back to the MCU. One Night in Miami has officially announced their release dates. Will it be eligible for this year's Academy Awards? I'll talk about that and a whole lot more down the pipeline. But the first thing that I do want to get into is something that broke a little while ago, and that was the date announcement for the third season of the hit now Netflix show, Cobra Kai, which is the continuation of the classic 1984 film, The Karate Kid, which showcases the continuation of Daniel LaRusso and Johnny. And it is now announced that after wondering when is season three going to premiere on Netflix, it it was announced that it was going to be in 2021. But when specifically is that going to be? Are we going to get in the spring, the summer? When is it going to happen? And we finally have the pinpoint release date. And it's not going to be that far into 2021. It'll be within the first weekend or so of the new year, specifically January 8th, 2021. Netflix ringing in the new year with one of their most popular shows on the streaming service. A lot of people have been talking about Cobra Kai ever since it went on Netflix because it is 192 million subscribers on the streaming service, a lot bigger audience than what they had on YouTube Red. And it also was announced during this little date announcement that season four has been greenlit by the streaming service. So there's going to be a lot more adventures happening with Johnny and Daniel and everyone else that is a part of the Cobra Kai franchise. And I'm really excited to see the new eyes that Cobra Kai is getting. I absolutely loved the first two seasons. I love Karate Kid, obviously, the franchise. And when it was first announced the show and seeing the the previews for the show i was like well is this is this just going to be kind of going back to the waters and just trying to kind of reminiscing about the karate kid and all of its glory in the 80s but surprisingly it is a very heartfelt yet funny action-packed show that definitely tugs on the nostalgia strings but tells a story that you really invested in and it's not just daniel and johnny you are you're captivated by it's it's this new wave this new generation of kids that are part of miyagi-do and cobra kai and the way that they integrate the older characters with the newer characters is is really interesting and it's the the kids that are interesting perform tremendously by all these newcomer these newcomers and i'm really excited to see what the creators of cobra kai do because i've seen a bunch of interviews with them throughout the last few years and they are fans of the original film and they bring it bring that to the writing of this show so the fact that people already love the first two seasons i think season three is going to hit it out of the park and start the year off strong for netflix seeing the the little tease that shows new footage showing kind of the aftermath of the season two finale and where a lot of people are at right now is very interesting could we get a johnny and daniel larusso team up in this one going up against cobra kai that'll be very interesting to see so i think there, there's a lot to look forward to and again the fact that they have a season four already in line means that 
that wherever season three ends, it's going to be a continuation and it'll leave it off in a good place that you'll want to come back for a brand new season. So Cobra Kai could be the next big hit that Netflix has on their hands. And I think that's why they bought it. They were already interested beforehand before YouTube Red got their hands on it. But I think they kind of see what this franchise can become and i'm not saying it's in the vein of stranger things but it does seem like it has that appeal to a lot of people where the buzz is really strong people are into it people want to watch it and see this show so it has that kind of effect and i think it'll probably die down because you only have these first two seasons but i'm going to be very interested to see in january what happens with the show when you get new material new episodes that people can sink their teeth into so a lot of great stuff happening for cobra kai again january 8 2021 is the release date for season three where the whole entire season will drop online then season four is now in development so all signs are pointing up for Daniel LaRusso, Johnny, and the cast and crew of Cobra Kai. What do you guys think about the details and the news regarding new seasons for this show? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And then moving over to another streaming service, particularly HBO Max, there was a surprise announcement that came out today regarding one of the films that was supposed to come out in theaters for Warner Brothers during the Halloween time, but instead it seems like they're going to be moving over to their streaming service, and that is the movie The Witches, which was set for an October release date, and it will be making its way now to HBO Max for an October 22nd release date. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis. It stars Octavia Spencer, Anne Hathaway, Stanley Tucci, and Chris Rock in a voiceover role. And it is a brand new adaption of the Roland Dahl, excuse me, classic. And it is based off of that story. And it basically is about this this kid who goes to this mansion. And here's a synopsis of it where it is about this this coven of witches with the help of a, of a loving grandmother and a boy and they try to stop these evil witches from devising this plan to turn all the world's children into mice and this was adapted from also a, a film that was made years ago that was more of a straight up kind of, kind of horror film this one has vibes of the house with the clocks clock in its walls and it just has that kind of family playful vibe that you would want around halloween time and this is again directed by robert zemeckis it has an incredible producing team behind it including guillermo del toro alfonso coron and those kind of guys are experts in the horror kind of psychological realm when it comes to crafting monsters and witches and warlocks and Zemeckis is behind this one and it looks again looks like a fun time at the theaters I love Anne Hathaway in this it looks like she's just chewing up every single scene that she's in Octavia Spencer looks amazing as she always is and the, the kids look cool the only thing that bothers me a little bit was the animation particularly when it came to the mice it just looked way too CG and it's fine when you have it be CG but you want it to be as not realistic but you want it to make it look as natural in the scenes as possible not like it's really kind of standing out at you where it just takes you completely out of the film and you can go and say that's technically really not real 
but you want to make it so that it seems real enough. And I think they have a little bit of time to maybe work on it. I don't know if they're completely locked on picture, but the, the animation scares me a little bit in the CGI when it comes to the mice. But I think overall, it looks like a fun time for the family. If you have HBO Max, this is something you can easily watch before Halloween time. And I was watching last night on AMC Channel 43 that they had kind of the beginning of the Halloween horror festivals of they had the Halloween films on and a lot of studios and channels are getting ready for that Halloween vibe and and scary times and spooky stories and films this entire October we're going to see a lot of films come out that are going to deal with horror as is usually the case so I think a lot of those films are going to make their way over to streaming services because studios might feel like well if theaters aren't doing well right now and we can't advocate for people to go to the theaters then why not just put it on our own streaming services and that's technically really what warner brothers and warner media did with this movie which makes a whole lot of sense from their standpoint unfortunately for the theaters it's another sad story in the fact that studios just don't feel comfortable putting films in theaters they don't think the business is there domestically right now they are putting this film out in theaters for people to see internationally but again here in the united states they're going to be putting it out in on hbo max so what do you guys think about this trailer for the witches let me know and leave your thoughts and moving on to some release date news that came about uh earlier this morning actually and it is announced that the release dates for one night in miami the regina king directed film has announced some stuff that is pertinent for this award season so this was a film that made its debut at the venice and toronto international film festival the last month during festival season and it came out to rave reviews it's going to be one of the bigger award season contenders this year and a lot of people wondering well when is it coming out is it going to come out fully in 2021 now that the deadline is pushed to february for oscar eligibility or will it come out in november december What are they going to do? And it seems like Amazon has come up with a plan for what will happen. And so One Night in Miami will be following the traditional Oscar window that happens in a normal year of premiering in limited theaters around the holiday time. Specifically, it will come out on Christmas Day. And then a few weeks later, instead of premiering in wide release for in theaters, it will be premiering on Amazon Prime on January 15th of 2021. So it'll be it it has enough momentum right now due to premiering the festivals, but it'll hit that sweet spot, especially with the eligibility period being extended of coming out in December and January, reigniting more waves for this film when I'm sure it'll get a lot of buzz for its cast, for its direction, for its screenplay, and will be one of the perennial contenders for every single award at the Academy this year, besides maybe sound or visual effects because it's more a grounded biopic. But this film is one that I've been looking forward to for a few months now. It uh, Regina King could really make some history, and it, this could just be another level for her in a wave over the last five or six years in which she's just been absolutely killing it from starring in Emmy Award-winning roles to an Oscar-winning role in A Bill Street Could Talk to now potentially becoming one the actually first black woman to receive a directing nomination. There's just a lot of history in the making. Regina King is breaking barriers, and for her to have her first directorial film 
film be this Oscar potential contending film is absolutely incredible. And it has an, an amazing cast that is led by Leslie Odom Jr. And I'm really excited to see, or and Aldous Hodges as well, and I'm really excited to see this film and the hype around it because it just seems like it's a very contained film just about these guys talking about racial issues that happened in the 60s and it's something that is very prevalent for what we're going through right now and it how it shaped these iconic figures this is muhammad ali this is james brown malcolm x it's just an incredible group of people that shaped the civil rights movement of the 60s and of the world and and philosophies that people live by nowadays and in sports or in activism and i just think it's it's incredible that for regina king again her first film is this huge potential success that she has on her hand so i'm excited to see what this film's all about and i think again going to theaters and going to a streaming service especially right now i think a gives amazon prime an incredible lead-in to being in this year's oscar race being another streaming service contending with netflix but also getting out there for a lot more people to see if they're not feeling comfortable, if we're still going through what we're going through right now with COVID-19, where people might not be comfortable going to the theaters in late December, early January, if it is, again, still like this, what we're going through with COVID-19. But I'm happy that we finally have an idea for what, for when, rather, when One Night in Miami will be coming out and the fact that it will be eligible for this year's Academy Awards and it will be taking the route of going limited in theaters and then going wide to its streaming service on Amazon Prime on January 15th, 2021. What do you guys think about this news of One Night in Miami? Let me know and leave your thoughts below. And then moving on now to the wonderful universe of the MCU. There's a lot of news that came out over the last day or so. And the first thing that I do want to talk about is the major casting news that came out from Deadline talking about it's Miss Marvel being cast. And it seems like Marvel has found the person they want to play Kamala Kong. And it is newcomer Iman Vellani who went through the casting process uh, during the summertime, and this was reported by Boris Kitt from The Hollywood Reporter, where Marvel went through their casting process, specifically with Alman Vellani, throughout the summertime, and then they came to their decision of her being cast as Miss Marvel in late August and early September. And when you have a newcomer come into play, usually they have some credentials in their resume, where whether it's for in, this, in the instance of Daisy Ridley just appearing in a commercial, and then they the the J.J. Abrams and the producers over at Lucasfilm loved her so much that they cast her as as Ray in Star Wars, or you have people that maybe have some TV shows or some smaller movies on their resume that they can look at. But with Amon Vellani, she this is going to be her first role period really in anything and the big thing that comes to her name is that she was a part of this new wave at the toronto international film festival i believe it was last year where it was kind of talked about of diversifying the voices within the industry and showcasing new stories and she was a part of that and she developed this kind of this this stop motion animated film with claymation and 
it said that she was inspired by Kevin Feige and Kevin Feige saw it and it seems like she has this artistic value to her that's not just about an actress but somebody who just loves art in general and for Kamala Khan the the great thing about her is that she's always curious she's always somebody who is wondering about the world about the Avengers and being one of them and I said it beforehand with Miss Marvel is that I never really knew a whole lot about her. I knew the comics came out just a few years ago and had a great representation for the Muslim community within the comic book world. But the one thing that really turned me on about Kamala Khan and Ms. Marvel that I'm really looking forward to seeing in this show and in the future of the MCU is this kind of bubbly personality that fits in with all these people. And the Avengers video game that came out in early September this year really, I think, kind of showcased the best that we can get for Kamala Khan. Now, in that video game, she's more of a, of a teenager, younger younger adult. It seems like, as Marvel does with their casting, they're going a little bit younger, probably early teens, so that they can have this actress for the foreseeable future, like they're kind of doing with Tom Holland. And again, I don't challenge the Marvel casting at all. From Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. You had Taika Waititi coming in. I'm not talking about casting, but going to, to directing. But moving back to casting, and Tom Holland and Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. The list goes on and on and on for how great the casting has been for Marvel. And they're always great at finding new talent like they did with Spider-Man, and he's one of the biggest stars in Hollywood right now. And the same thing, I think, could potentially happen for this actress, where, again, Marvel seems to be going in the direction of having representation for everybody in the United States and around the world. I think a lot of young girls, even young boys, can see themselves in Kamala Khan. And I'm excited to see what they do with this character. I'm excited to see where it goes. And it seems like they're really trying to showcase the Muslim community within Kamala Khan while keeping it in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So you want to see that. You want to see representation. You want to see communities showcased and dived into a whole lot more while developing the action, the, the chemistry between the cast members. So now that they found their main lead role, I'm sure in the next few weeks, next few months, we'll be hearing more about the supporting cast that will be around this young actress and I'm excited to see what she does and seeing pictures of her. She reminds me of like a young teen Kamala Khan in a way, even in the video games where in the first chapter or two, you see a Kamala Khan that is years younger than when we see her throughout the rest of the video game. And looking at the picture of Aman Vellani, I, I could see that and I could see I could see that being Kamala Khan. I could see the blue mask and I can see the lightning bolt with the, with the cape and, and the red and the blue. I can see that on her. She fits that description physically. But I'm sure as somebody who just inside of her as an actress, she can express what she needs to express in this performance. So I'm really excited and interested to see what she does with this role. And then staying within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I want to go to some more surprising news, shocking news that I don't think anybody saw coming, maybe other than people that are working at Marvel that are working these deals. And according to The Hollywood Reporter, it is being not confirmed, but rumored potentially that Jamie Foxx could be reprising his role as Electro in Spider-Man 3. And if you know Electro and you know the role that Jamie Foxx played, you realize that 
he played Electro not in the Tom Holland MCU Spider-Verse, but he played it in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Andrew Garfield when it came out in 2014, which after that film led to Sony agreeing to a deal with Marvel to have Spider-Man appear in the MCU so their character could get more exposure and, and, and better audience attendance and more money, obviously, in appearing alongside Iron Man, Captain America, and the rest of the Avengers. And a lot of people thought that, well, Jamie Foxx would never come back as Electro, but it seems like his character is once again, or rather, this character is going to be reprised for this role. Now, we saw last year in Spider-Man Far From Home that if you saw the first post credit scene, that they did bring back J.K. Simmons' as J. Jonah Jameson, and people were wondering, well, is this a mixture of the universes together? Does this mean the multiverse is coming together? Those are so many questions that are being asked right now. And I think the, the big thing really is that this is just a surprise that this is happening, period. Because when I saw The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I was not a fan of that film. I thought they were trying to do too much in that film to jump off their entire cinematic universe that they wanted to do. I remember they had plans for a Sinister Six. They had plans for, uh, I think it was a Doc Off spinoff, a Black Cat spinoff. They had plans for a Spider-Man 3, 4, and multiple films down the line, and it just didn't pan out that way. And a lot of it was because they wanted to catalyst what Amazing Spider-Man 2 was. And I remember one of the things that I was really looking forward to with that movie at the time was seeing what an actor at the caliber of Jimmy Fox could do with the role of Electro because we never saw Electro done in live action before and how are they going to implement him in, implement him in because he has the goofy costume from the 60s comic books but over time in the Ultimate Spider-Man, he seems to be more sinister and you could adapt that kind of way, which they did. And it was just a very underwhelming performance. And I, and I think the, the character itself didn't have a whole lot to do. And after kind of being advertised as the main villain, he, in the end, he felt like more of a secondary villain than the main villain halfway through The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So I was very underwhelmed by what they utilized to Jamie Foxx. I thought there could have been so much more potential with that character and maybe they realize it too and that they're implementing it in this film and the questions that i really have after multiple ones of the multiverse and and what's going on here the two things that i really want to focus on is one really is this the same character from the amazing spider-man 2 or a new take and when you read the article specifically from deadline who broke not deadline but hollywood reporter who broke this story they say that Jamie Foxx is reprising his role of Electro, and they put the photos of him as Electro in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, so that means somehow, some way, potentially, that Electro finds his way to the MCU and into the world of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And I think a lot of people always thought, well, maybe Kraven would be the villain or the chameleon or somebody else would be it. Maybe the Punisher comes back into play. But it seems like the Electro, as of right now, could be the main villain of Spider-Man. And I think it kind of brings into question as well how big of a role the multiverse is going to have in the MCU going forward. We know that with particularly WandaVision and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, those are going to really kind of introduce 
introduce the concepts and delve deeper into the realm of the multiverse after it was it was kind of introduced a little bit in Avengers Endgame when they go back in time to the events of all the previous MCU films to collect the Infinity Stones. So we'll dive more into it, and it seems like Marvel really is heavily focusing on this, and it seems like maybe somehow, some way, Electro makes his way to the to the MCU through the multiverse. Maybe those events channel what happens with this film, and I think it. it raises more questions than it does answers and one of the other big questions that i know people have is well does that mean we're going to get a full multiverse film with all these spider-man live action coming back toby mcguire andrew garfield are we going to get everybody coming back and to that point i do say hold your horses just a little bit because i get people could say well, Ben Affleck is coming back for the Flash movie, coming back and playing Batman, maybe Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield. They don't have a lot going on right now. They can come back and do these films, and that could happen, but again, I would hold your horses on that potentially happening before fanboying or fanboying about that. That would be awesome to see, but... I don't know if Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire do want to come back. I think Tobey Maguire is a little bit on the older side of playing Spider-Man. Maybe they could introduce an adult Spider-Man to come in. Andrew Garfield, I don't know if he wants to get back into that. I, I don't. It, did, it doesn't seem like it ended well uh, in terms of him leaving the franchise after everything that happened with The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So I don't know if that really works out so well. So I don't know if they come back. But again, the argument could be made that Ben Affleck is coming back and he said he was done with the role of Batman and lo and behold, here we are today and he he's at least coming back for The Flash and he's apparently doing some pickup shots for the Snyder Cut of the Justice League donning the cape once again. So anything is possible. Anything is possible and it seems like that's the case for the MCU now as well and so it could happen i i don't know where this leads according to the report as well it, it kind of confirmed the obvious that zendaya will be back um tony Rivoli, who plays flash will be back the actor who plays ned in in the spider-man films with tom holland he'll be back in the films and so will marissa tomei playing aunt may as well and again i wonder how this fits into the narrative of what marvel and sony are going to be doing for this third Spider-Man film, because we know how it ends. Where does Peter Parker go from from where Far From Home ends? And I'm very interested to see how it could happen. And, and I think if we do go with this multiverse lineup, it would be pretty cool to, again, even though I just said that, hold your horses, it could be very unlikely that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield come back. That could be very interesting where maybe Peter has to find the strength of being Spider-Man once again, and he's going through this tumultuous time, and both these other Peter Parkers come in and help him, kind of like what happened in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse with Peter B. Parker helping Miles Morales become the Spider-Man of his world, and that could be kind of an avenue that they that they navigate with this Spider-Man film. So there's a lot of possibilities. And going back to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, that's the film to really thank for, I think, the multiverse being allowed in Sony and Spider-Man, and it works so well that people are are really enjoying that aspect. And the way that Into the Spider-Verse really handled all these different spider people is really, really interesting. And 
I think it could be something really cool. And for Jamie Foxx's Electro, again, I don't know if it's the same person or it, it sounds like it, it is the same person from The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I hope they give him a lot more to do because I like the performance, but it was just very underwhelming for what they gave him. And they just didn't really give a lot of meat to the bones for that character in the end. It just felt like a, a side villain more than the main villain. So if Electro is the main villain of Spider-Man 3, then I hope they give him a whole lot more to do because Jamie Foxx is an incredible actor. And I think Electro deserves to have the spotlight. And if you give the actor the caliber of Jamie Foxx that role, give him the spotlight, let him go toe-to-toe with Tom Holland or all these other people, and let's see what he can do. So I'm happy if this does turn out to be fruition, whatever the details are, that at least Jamie Foxx gets another crack at this. It's totally surprising. I don't think a lot of people saw this coming, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens going forward and what this means really for the rest of the MCU. So we'll see what happens. But what do you guys think about this news coming from the MCU, specifically the casting of Captain Marvel and the reprisal of Jamie Foxx as Electro in Spider-Man 3. Let me know and leave your thoughts. Moving on now to a trending trailer that I want to talk about, and it is probably the best trailer of this week, and that is the first look at the Borat sequel. And I'm not going to say the whole name because it's just so ridiculous that if you want to look it up, you can look it up and have a laugh at it because it is pretty funny. But nonetheless, I did check out the Borat trailer and it is everything you could want and more from a Borat sequel. And it just looks like some just crazy outlandish fun is going to be had with Sasha Baron Cohen in this role. It is set to hit on Amazon Prime on October 23rd. And the trailer just showed us it seems like Borat is going back to America. It seems like he he had or, or always had or did have a daughter in the time from the first film to this film. And I guess he is going to kind of have his daughter marry someone very high up in the chain, whether it's Mike Pence or or somebody in the US government or somebody from royalty. It, It seems like that is the avenue that we're going with in this Borat film. It seems like it's gonna deal with the government, the US government, people in the United States, the coronavirus. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all kind of plays out, but Sasha Baron Cohen looks great as usual, the, the crazy scenarios. In, in the Deadline article that came out before the trailer that talked about Borat going to Amazon Prime, that they said that during the shoot, Sasha Baron Cohen had to wear a bulletproof vest for two days that they filmed. And it seems like one of them could be shown in the trailer towards the very end where it seems like he dresses up as President Trump and he carries his daughter on his back and it seems like he interrupts a a, a conference that Mike Pence is speaking at and maybe that could have been something where Secret Service was going to protect him and maybe the the crew said you got to wear something just in case something completely awful happens so that could have been a scenario that that happens in place but it just seems like more great borat fun to be had and october i was saying this to my friend 
is going to be the month of Sasha Baron Cohen from the trial of Chicago 7, which is happening on October 16th, to the following weekend when Borat 2 comes out. I'm not saying that Borat 2 is going to get some Oscar looks. It did get some award season love all the way back in 2006, 2007. So for this film, I'm not really sure. I think he'll get more Oscar attention for The Trial of Chicago 7. But again, it just continues that wave for Sasha Baron Cohen during the month of October. And it's all going to be him leading up towards the election. But I really enjoyed this trailer. It's exactly what I thought it was going to be. It didn't surprise me at all for what I was getting. But it seems like Sasha Baron Cohen has not skipped a beat with Borat. He knows his character. He wrote this character. And it just seems like more outlandish fun will be had in the new Borat film. What did you guys think about the Borat trailer for the sequel? I want to make that my Twitter poll question today. Let me know what you thought down below and leave your thoughts in the Twitter poll. Did you guys like it? Did you not like it? Did it make you just feel the same? You already know what you're going to get. Let me know and leave your thoughts. And winding down here, winding down, I should say, I, I slipped on my words there, winding down on this edition of the Sam Bissell podcast today. I want to talk about the first look that we got for the one of the new Netflix films that is going to get some awards contention look as well is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And this comes from the New York Times where it gives us the first look at this film and it's going to star Viola Davis and it will be the final performance in the late great taken from us too soon Chadwick Boseman's career and it seems like he's gonna get a lot of awards attention for this same thing for Viola Davis and for the picture and for the screenplay this could be a major awards contender and to give a little bit of an idea for what the the plot the premise of this film is this comes from the official synopsis of the film tensions and temperatures rise over the course of an afternoon recording session in 1920 Chicago as a band of musicians await trailblazing performer, the legendary mother of the blues, Ma Rainey. Late to the session, the fearless fury Ma engages in a battle of wills with her white manager and producer over control of her music. As the band waits in the studio's claustrophobic rehearsal room, ambitious trumpeter Levy, who has an eye for Ma's girlfriend and is determined to take his own claim on the music industry, spurs his fellow musicians into an eruption of stories, truths, lies that will change the course of theirs forever. And from the again from the from the pictures, it seems like Viola Davis transformed herself physically for this role and she could be well on her way to an Oscar nomination. I think Chadwick Boseman will be up for supporting whether he wins or not. If he's as great as he seems and as, as he's being hyped, he could be another kind of posthumous Academy Award winner that wins probably the fir- the first one that I can remember since Heath Ledger did it in 2008. So if it's as great as we think it's going to be, then this could be kind of the, the, the tragic cherry on top for Chadwick Boseman's career where it was going to ascend to great heights, but the fact that he ends it with this and potentially could win an Academy Award just shows the tragic talent that we lost way too soon earlier this summer. And 
it, it looks very interesting. I, I really want to see a trailer for this and, and see how it all comes together, see the chemistry between Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman, the performance of Viola Davis, the direction of all this. And it, it just looks very interesting. It sounds very interesting. So I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's up there in terms of awards watch to be on the lookout for once we finally see this film and awards prognosticators see this film, putting it on its list for where these awards could really shake out. What do you guys think about the first look at Mulraney's Black Bottom? Let me know and leave your thoughts. And that's going to do it for the movie news that is going on in the world of Hollywood on the Sambus Up podcast today. And I'm going to leave it off today doing my annual Throwback Thursday review. And since I didn't have a show yesterday, I decided I wanted to talk about this film that I've watched numerous times before. And yesterday was actually the 10th anniversary since it was released in theaters. And it is the absolute classic masterpiece of a film in the social network. It came out on October 1st of 2010, and it is one of my favorite films, I guess of all time, really. It's my favorite film of the last decade. My number one film is The Social Network, and it is directed by David Fincher. It was written by Aaron Sorkin, in which if you want to talk about master collaborations, this might be one of the greatest dynamic duo combinations, collaborations of all time, especially with this film. And it stars an incredible cast that at the time were pretty much newcomers, except for one of them. It stars Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, Justin Timberlake, who was already popular at that time, Army Hammer, and Brenda Song. And this was just an absolute phenomenal film because you combine these two creative geniuses together in Fincher and Sorkin. Sorkin, we all know, is a master in script writing. The way he's able to just juice up dialogue and make you really kind of laser focus on what is being talked about where you don't have to have car chases or major action or anything like that. The action is all happening within the dialogue and the interactions between the the characters. And then you give the the direction of David Fincher, who is who, especially at that time and even now, is known for these very ominous films, these mysterious, dark-looking pictures. And this isn't really a mystery film in the line of Seven or Zodiac or even Gone Girl, but he attributes that kind of filmmaking to this story, which is still very haunting. And he delivers that aspect of filmmaking to this picture and you do, you put that on of really what it was saying at the time about social media and how really kind of a cutthroat business it was in in really this this trailblazing social media app of Facebook that people love today but kind of see the price that was paid for on Zuckerberg and everyone around him and how cutthroat it was to get this app where it was and it still is kind of cutthroat like that is incredible and how the 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 trust and the portrayals of, of friends and and the breaking of relationships and the deterioration because of money and fame and success and the cost that it puts Zuckerberg in questions you and it also shapes up Mark Zuckerberg in the film to be this very kind of tragic anti-hero where you want to see him succeed but he's such an a-hole that you don't know whether to root for him or not and you feel kind of the surrounding people that are 
destroyed in his way. And I thought the way that they did Army Hammer was incredible for the Winklevoss twins. And Andrew Garfield had a had a performance for the ages. Justin Timberlake probably gave his best performance as an actor in this movie. And Jesse Eisenberg kind of came out and he was nominated for best actor for this film. And it was nominated for a plethora of awards, eight Academy Awards, including best picture, best director. It won three. Aaron Sorkin won his first Academy Award for best adapted screenplay. It won best original score, which was haunting and beautiful and tragic. It was just an incredible uh, piece that I highly recommend listening to and best film editing. And the crime that was committed by this movie was the fact that somehow, someway, The King's Speech, which was a very good film and had amazing performances, Colin Firth was tremendous. It wasn't the social network. And when you think of great films, again, from the 2010s or from the 21st century, you think more of the social network than you think of The King's Speech, which is, again, a really good film and a masterclass in acting, but not on the level that everything was firing off for with The Social Network, where if you look at every single aspect of it, writing, directing, performances, score, editing, lighting, it just all is masterclass of how to make a movie. And that, again, it's not just, you don't need action, you just need great characters, great dialogue, and just to tell the backstory of an insane story that actually happened in real life to, to, to really kind of showcase. And it's one of my favorite films. I love it. And again, I always say for me that Sorkin and Fincher, I would love to see them collaborate again together. And this was just the perfect blend for both of them where one of the great writers of all time teed up with one of the best directors of at least the 21st century in, in David Fincher. And, and he is a masterclass in directing. And I can't wait to see them kind of go up against each other this year, funny enough, where Aaron Sorkin has The Trial of the Chicago 7, which he wrote and directed, and you have Fincher going up with Mank, in which his father wrote the screenplay for that, and he decided to come back from a long hiatus from from movie-going filmmaking since 2014 to direct Mank. So it'll be very interesting to see the two of them go up together after a year or a decade ago, they teamed up in one of the greatest collaborations, I think, in cinema history with The Social Network. And I think it should be taught in film schools for years to come, this film, especially in screenwriting, directing, acting. This film should be showcased. It's absolutely phenomenal. I highly recommend it. I believe it's still on Netflix. I'm not 100% sure, but I remember wanting to see this film in theaters. I was able to. I was rooting for this film for the Academy Award, and it was a crime that it did not win Best Picture in 2010, or rather in 2011 for the 2010 movie year, because overall it really was the best movie of 2010. And I say as well, Inception is one of my favorite films of all time, and that is absolutely is as well, but I would probably put it as Social Network is my number one, and Inception as my number two for my favorite films of 2010. This was, again, one of my favorites of all time. I think it's the best work that Finch, well, it is, yes, in my opinion, I think Fincher did his best work with The Social Network, coming in close with Seven, and I think this is Sorkin's best work as a screenwriter for a film. I still think his masterpiece is obviously 
the West Wing. That forever will be, I think. He'll always be associated with that for as long as he was a part of it. But in terms of film, film screenplays, The Social Network was his masterpiece in screenwriting. So... I cannot I cannot recommend this film enough if you can't already tell and I highly recommend what the social network is what it stands for and really how it still resonates today and, and there's so many more social media networks out there that I think you can learn a lot from this not just from Facebook but Twitter Instagram Snapchat and really what Zuckerberg brought to the table and being this trailblazer but also how it affected him and the price of of fame and fortune and I again highly recommend it cannot recommend it enough the social network is my throwback film for this week. What do you guys think? Have you ever seen The Social Network? If not, again, highly recommend it. If you have, what did you think about it? Do you think I'm over-exaggerating with my praise for The Social Network? Let me know and leave your thoughts below. But guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven Professionals, geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can also check out these other awesome shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Candy B Trios, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Thank you guys again so much, and until next time, keep on screening.